I'm Brian Scordato, and this is the Idea to Start a Podcast brought to you by Tacklebox. We accelerate ideas into real companies through the Tacklebox membership, and we think through startup strategy every Wednesday on the Idea to Start Up Podcast. You're here because you're thinking about an idea, or you're ready to launch something, or you already launched something and you're running full steam ahead. We're here to help with the counterintuitive stuff. On to it. Previously on Idea to Start Up. Normally, there's a clip from the last episode when you do that previously on thing, but I tried inserting a clip here from last week and it just kind of sounded weird, so I'm going to give you a little summary instead. Last week, we introduced a series of episodes where I'm going to test an idea live on the show. The idea is around chronic pain, specifically finding a better way to help people with chronic pain attack it. My thesis is that a big chunk of the 18 to 32% of Americans that suffer from daily chronic pain don't have to, and only do because the path to getting the right care sequenced properly is a giant dam in the river to health that most people don't have the time, resources, or wherewithal to break through. I'm doing this live for two reasons. First, I think it'll be helpful. The best way to write something interesting is to just do something interesting and then document it. It moves the pressure from the writing to the doing, which is fun. And second, because this idea means a lot to me. I really want it to work. I won't be surprised if in five years I'm running a business that helps people treat chronic pain full time. I might even subconsciously be rooting for that. That means I'm emotionally invested, just like you are with your idea, which means I'll make the emotional mistakes that you will. I'll put my finger on the scale where I shouldn't. And hopefully, I can spot these mistakes and point them out and help us both build systems to avoid them. So far, so good. I think I made roughly 617 emotional mistakes over the past seven days, and this podcast easily could have been three hours long. Don't worry, it is still our normal crisp 20-ish minutes, but the lessons are going to be coming Dom Toretto style, fast and furious. Last week, we laid out the start of the system. We introduced the idea and the why. We talk through the two reasons startups fail, and we introduce the first pillars of a system to make sure we didn't fall into those two traps. We laid out our first week of work. Today, we'll talk about how it went and build out our system accordingly. This was way more fun and way more intense than I was anticipating. So let's get to it. After, we talk about the show 24. It's not smooth jazz time yet. We haven't really done anything yet. It was just a recap. Hold your horses. So let's talk about the TV show 24, a show that was canceled over a decade ago, but still holds some mindshare, at least for me. And the reason why is the reason we're going to talk about. If you aren't familiar with 24, it was a long running and wildly successful show that followed Jack Bauer, the head of the counter-terrorist unit, as he saved the president or a city, or I believe the whole world in one season from a terrorist attack. The plots were as believable as Carmen Sandiego stealing the Eiffel Tower, but during its peak, over 10 million people tuned in each week. The show was called 24 because it happened in real time. It took place over a 24-hour period, and each episode was one hour of the day. Between scenes and at commercial breaks, they'd show a blank screen with a clock ticking down. It created tension, even anxiety. 24 was on while I was in college, and I remember my roommates and I delightedly huddling around the TV each week, making the same requisite jokes about how Jack hadn't gone to the bathroom in 17 hours as we tried to figure out who the traitor was. Spoiler alert, it was Tony Almeida. Or was it? Why the heck am I talking about this show all these years later as I test out a startup idea live on the pod? Because 24 had one of the best organizing principles I have ever seen. 
and it was the sole reason the show was successful. Nearly everything great in life has a clear, organizing principle. A great novel, or a great summer outfit, or salad, or vacation, or country. An organizing principle allows people to do hard things. There's a difficult question that pops up whenever someone sits down to write a television show. How do we make something that people will share? 24's organizing principle was, of course, that it happened over 24 hours in real time. Everything revolved around this decision, and the decision made every subsequent decision easier. I heard a writer say it was the easiest show that they ever worked on because the boundaries were so clear. This allowed them to be creative within them. Most importantly, 24's organizing principle tackled the original hard question, how do you make a show that spreads? The answer is to make a show that's easy to talk about. When someone asks you what TV show you're watching, it's so simple to describe 24. It's a show that happens in real time on the day of a terrorist attack. Jack Bauer, the main guy, needs to save the day. When we have the choice, we choose simplicity, so people recommended 24. It started with a niche, small audience, but grew week by week and year by year until those 10 million people were watching at its peak. So, again, why the heck am I talking about this? Because your early days working on a startup need an organizing principle. This will allow you to do hard things. Most entrepreneurs don't have one, and the lack of an organizing principle leads to a floundering of random activities that never build any momentum. Founders do customer work, then they try to find a co-founder, then they stop for a bit, then they pivot, then they make a website, then they try a different idea. A bunch of actions with no structure, with no through line. The structure created by an organizing principle gives you the boundaries to tackle the hard, uncomfortable, emotional work of validating whether this idea is actually worth your time or not. If you'd asked me six or even two years ago what the organizing principle for an idea stage entrepreneur should be, I would have definitely said something about customer. But I've changed my tune. The organizing principle for every successful business I've worked with has been the same. Speed. Everything during the early days needs to be about speed, about stacking and executing on things with long feedback loops immediately, about seeking out risky stuff that might work and might not and doing it first, about building systems to expedite that stuff, to scale the long feedback loop tasks, to make sure we make it to the point where those early actions can compound. Your business will be the aggregate of the systems you build, and if the systems are optimized for speed, for getting deep information from customers fast so that you can double down or adjust, you're going to give yourself the best possible chance to succeed. If you're slow, the feedback loops will weigh on you. You'll never get the type of momentum you can build on. It'll be like you're running a marathon in wet jeans. Speed needs to be your organizing principle. So let's talk about how to do that, why it's hard, and how successful or unsuccessful I was doing that this week. After a little smooth jazz. If you've got a startup idea and a full-time job and want to test out the former before you leave the latter, come and work with us. Apply at gettacklebox.com. Over 400 startups have tested and built ideas through our program, and those businesses are now collectively worth over a billion dollars. Our program helps you prioritize and execute, and our members and me and the team keep you accountable and give you feedback along the way. Come build with us at gettacklebox.com. Back to it. Speed is underrated. Speed is a tricky chestnut to crack because Speed, much like many of my favorite characters on the best show on Netflix, Love is Blind, has some baggage. 
The idea of startups working fast has been bastardized a bit by the whole move fast and break things crowd that move fast and not surprisingly ended up breaking a whole lot of stuff that they weren't prepared or capable of fixing. But speed for startups doesn't have to mean careless and reckless and borderline criminal. It also doesn't mean skipping steps or moving ahead before you're ready. Speed simply means having a system you've got conviction in, an approach you can execute on fast because nearly everything during the early days has two characteristics, long feedback loops and compounding benefits. It's very likely that the people and insights that are going to unlock a business that's going to change your life are a couple of steps away. Maybe a friend of a friend of a friend is the perfect first customer that'll catalyze your growth, or a contact on LinkedIn's friend from high school's boss will be the customer interview that unlocks your insight. Or, more likely, something like a post you put in a subreddit on chronic pain might get a response from someone who helps you tweak the messaging for a niche newsletter that they know about, and that ends up getting you some early customers and early momentum. The point is that you're likely not one degree or campaign or action away from real progress. You're a few. And those actions tend to have really long feedback loops. That means the start of the process needs to be condensed if you're going to survive long enough to see the compound benefits that your actions start to provide. If you send cold emails to 50 people today, you'll probably get something like 5 to 10 interviews over the next three weeks. These will inform your next round of interviews, which might be 50 new cold emails, which, if written the day that you get those insights again, could get you to that second level insight over the few following weeks. Within a couple months, you could have everything you need to anchor a new business. Or you could send out three emails today, then take a week off, then send out six more, then take a couple more weeks off, and send out three or four more. You can see how the timeline gets stretched if you don't act fast and act in bulk. It might sound silly, but doing tons of things immediately is probably the best strategy for success for a startup. Every day wasted compounds in a negative way. Which brings us to my week. I had the brilliant idea to test this startup live on the pod last Monday, two days before the episode was released. I'd had a whole separate episode ready to go. It's called The Works, and I like it, and I'll push it live at some point. But I suddenly had the urge to go after the chronic pain idea instead. I couldn't put it off anymore. This feeling I know is universal as most of our applications to Tacklebox come in at like four in the morning and are accompanied by an email saying, I'm so sorry for the late application. If only you knew this is the norm, not the exception. And that was me last week. So I wrote out the episode on Monday, recorded it Tuesday, pushed it live Wednesday, then Thursday at about 8 a.m. I sat down at my desk and realized what the heck had I done? I started the way I tell everyone to start trying to get interviews. The business has a chance of succeeding if I understand a specific customer better than anyone else does, so I might as well start there. I got lucky that a few people from the pod reached out immediately saying that they had chronic pain and that they would love to be interviewed. I sent them a Calendly link and waited for them to schedule time. Next, I sent an email to the clinic in Canada that helped me start getting better to see if they would intro me to some of their clients, or at least talk about their process. Really, I wasn't sure if this was possible with HIPAA and all that, but it was worth a shot. Then I sent an email to 40 friends and family, BCCing them and asking them to introduce me to anyone they knew that had chronic pain. I put something on LinkedIn with a calendar link too. By 10 a.m., I was done. I shifted back over to Tacklebox work and waited for the slew of interviews that would surely be booked any minute. I woke up Friday morning to check in on these interviews and how many bookings I'd gotten, and I saw that I had a few, but they were all booked for late April. The clinic had responded too. 
Was I able to talk May 1st, they asked. They were swamped until then. No responses from anyone else. So, what now? This is a dangerous moment for startups, and it's one that you will almost certainly encounter if you haven't already. My mind went to the same place that yours likely did. Do I really need to speak with all these people? Don't I know this customer well enough already? I had the problem. Aren't I just the customer? I do this for a living. Can't I just figure it out? My own little I'm Keith Hernandez moment. And even, why the hell am I doing this in the first place? When we do something that's emotionally irregular, like putting ourselves way out there by contacting hundreds of people asking for their help and getting nothing back, our instincts are usually to slingshot in the other direction. No one emailed me back, so this idea must be terrible and I must be an idiot for thinking I could do it. Back to delight. Or nobody emailed me back, so let me just move forward without them. I won't bother anyone else. Those feelings, either the my instincts are good enough to move on or screw this, I don't want to feel this vulnerable again, both come from the same place. A lack of conviction in your organizing principle or the lack of an organizing principle altogether. The Boston Marathon was this week and a newsletter I love called Charter, I'll pop it in the show notes, did a graphic on Iliud Kipchoge, maybe the best marathoner of all time and the man coming off a recent two hour and one minute marathon in Berlin. The chart showed all the finishers in the history of the Berlin Marathon on a bell curve to show how ridiculous Iliud's race was. It's just preposterously far off the right side of the chart. But that's not what struck me. What struck me was the curve itself. It should be a bell curve. 40,000 people run the thing every year and have for a long time. But the graph looks more like a three-humped camel. There's a big hump for people who finished in five hours, then four hours, then three hours. The distribution is skewed towards those times because people set those goals and they hit them. They outperform their normal spot on the bell curve. How? A good friend of mine is diplomatically not an athlete. I asked what his fastest mile time was previous to running the marathon last year, and he responded that he'd never finished a mile before, so who knows. Anyway, this friend decided to run a four-hour marathon. He joined a club that started six months earlier, and he began running four times a week, along with two days of strength and two days of yoga with the rest of the club. And, a few months later, he ran a four-hour marathon. When I asked about how, he said he knew the plan would work if he stuck to it, so he stuck to it. When humans have conviction in a plan, they outperform their spot on the bell curve. Conviction for a startup founder is trickier than a marathon runner. It's hard to have conviction in a process where most of the things you try aren't going to work, and you've got incomplete information at every turn. It's just not what we're used to. Which is why I prefer focusing on speed and having conviction in that approach. I think about speed for idea stage entrepreneurs in three buckets. Speed to learn customer stories, speed to execute on risky things, and speed to build systems to make one and two easier. So, after my first attempt at getting interviews, I regrouped with a focus on speed. How could I execute on a bunch of strategies to get more customer conversations today, or build systems to execute on them? I'd start with bucket one, speed to getting more customer interactions, which would open the door for the second and third nodes that are going to be the really meaningful ones. I came up with a few ideas to get more customers in the top of my funnel. First, hub and spoke. I'd already approached one clinic, but there are tons of potential clinics and physical therapists out there. These are the folks interacting with my customer. I start by reaching out to them. 
Second, I found a few chronic pain support groups around me. I could reach out or join those too. Third, there's a small conference for physical therapists an hour away in three weeks. I'll be there. And fourth, I found a ton of Reddit and Slack groups that had digital support for people with chronic pain. Joining those are going to allow me to see if anyone wants to chat. The second bucket is what I categorize as, quote, risky stuff. The stuff that makes you a bit uncomfortable to do, and the stuff that might totally flop. But this is also the stuff that might deliver a ton of insight. I only came up with one risky idea, but I'm going to keep working on it. For my risky idea, I reached out to my clinic in Toronto and offered to sponsor a webinar that would invite people to chat with their head of physio about recovering from post-concussion syndrome. I'd create ads for it and post them in various channels to see if people were interested. I'd have an opportunity to speak with those people after, and i get their emails. The final speed bucket is around systems to execute. I need all this stuff to happen as soon as possible so we can get into those second and third degree connections and insights. So I went on Fiverr and I hired someone I've worked with before to source and send emails for me. He's pulling info on all the clinics and PTs in the tri-state area that focus on chronic pain. Then I'll draft some emails and he'll send them. Next, I hired someone who will do something similar on Reddit, Discord, Slack, and anywhere else communities are hosted. He's identifying groups and putting them in a spreadsheet for me to check out and join. That'll make the top of funnel work move a bit, and it takes a lot of the emotional and draining work off my plate. All for a couple hundred bucks. The best way to figure out what to automate is a tactic called buying back your time. At your weekly review, look at what took the most time the previous week and the thing that doesn't require you specifically to do it. Then figure out how to buy that time back, how to pay someone to take it off your plate. Now, is all this the best possible approach? Who knows? That is not the thing to stress over. The key here is speed. That's my organizing principle. That is what I'm pushing for. Obviously, that speed is always respectful. We do not spam. This is not spray and pray. We handpick the people we'd love to speak with, and we reach out to them in a way that hopefully offers them value and makes it clear why we chose them, why we asked them for time. But we scale the process to get to those people and interact with them and hopefully get on the phone with them. Organizing for speed lets you stack the risk and the mistakes and the action early. It lets you see what works in the context of this idea and market. The hope is we end up with lots of conversations and lots of people we can potentially help. Then we'll get into the next part, the harder part, choosing who we're going to run tests with first. The process is big than small. Reach out to lots and lots and lots of people. We're not precious about who we speak with. We're just trying to build context. Then we will zoom in very tight to run tests. Inhale and exhale. The speed thing can feel uncomfortable. Honestly, it feels a bit uncomfortable to me. I don't want to be teetering on the edge of control or respect for people's time. And because of that, I refuse to. That fear is more likely irrational anyway, keeping me from doing stuff that might make me look silly if it doesn't work. That part is fine. That's encouraged. The more hesitant you are to do something, the more hesitant most people will be to do it too, which often means you might be onto something good. Next week, we'll have some results of the interviews and we'll talk through that process a bit more. I'll catch you up on how some of those speed tactics worked or didn't. We'll hopefully have some insights we can start leaning into, pushing and pulling a bit on customer, on their story, on how we can help them. And if you haven't ever seen 24, give it a shot. I won't spoil anything for you, but Tony Almeida, I wouldn't trust him. Or would I?
Have a great week. This was the Idea to Startup podcast brought to you by Tacklebox. If you've got a startup idea and a full-time job, come test it out with us. We've got structure, framework, and other smart folks doing the same thing. Apply at gettacklebox.com and we'll get back to you in 72 hours.